Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen media empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm J.K. Amanu, the writer-director of Aviation. Hi, I'm Brando Benetton, director of Nightfire. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hi, this is James Helen Brussack, the writer, director, and producer. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stewart, paint the screen.com up in my bunk piece. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Rogue Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. From, from, from page, page to screen. Hello. 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 Stu Miller survived download. Well done. Sort of. Sort of, would you be? How was it? I saw the, the group picture. Now, my question is, right, the group picture of everybody, that one that you shared online, were they people yeah. you knew before or were they people you met while you were there? They were the people you went down with. Ah, I was going to say, because it's yeah. like, if, if you didn't know them before, it's like, how do people meet that many people and get on well with them in such a short space of time? So I thought, I'm going to ask him whether he knew them all. So uh, how did everybody enjoy Download? But more importantly, how did you enjoy it? I'm still burnt from it. <laughs> um, I'm still actually peeling from it. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, um, you should have actually seen me. I'm, um, I went from different shades of burnt, like yeah. pale white on some of the areas, to purple. It was that bad. Um, on the ankle and the back of one of my legs went purple because yeah. I was burnt that much. Um, just because the fact I was wearing trainer socks, which is not a good idea, and... Um, one of my friends decided to slap me on the back of my leg, which, again, wasn't a good idea. No. <laughs> uh, but overall, it was just brilliant. It was nice to actually switch your brain off for five years and just listen to music and get drunk, pretty did, much. Did you have a phone with you? Did you check your emails, your Twitter, or anything like that? Or did you sort of cut down on that a lot and, and do it properly, actually ignore the internet for a no, while? I, I had my phone with us, but mm. the thing with download is because where it's situated, um, there is no signal, pretty much. When the arena opens up on the Friday, um, because it was entirely contactless, so you couldn't pay with cash, which was card, um, it was pretty much screwing up with everybody's signal, so you pretty much <laughs> didn't get a signal. A signal. Oh, so it was handy to have your phone with it to actually take pictures and record video, yeah. but... Everything like Twitter, Facebook, anything like TikTok, or just watching a video on YouTube or anything like that was just nigh on near impossible. And how did you so how did you thing. cope with that? Because it's like, and I'm going to get onto you in a minute, Rob, about how you would cope with that. I'd feel a little bit lost. I'd be fine, 
but I'd still feel a little bit lost. But how how were you with that with that, Stu? It's nice. It's mm. nice to be um, cut off for the, for a few days because then you realise you don't actually need it all of the time. No. Like it's not important to find uh, to check Twitter or Facebook to find people's opinions on stuff. <gasps> How dare you, Stu? How dare you? Why are you so blasphemous? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to just uh, be cut off for a few days, to actually just um, enjoy the company of other people, enjoy some music, enjoy the sunshine, just get out there, do just relax. Yeah. And so obviously things like Twitter and TikTok, etc., um, can be a distraction. But just to get cut yourself off for a few days is actually really nice. Sounds bliss. I tried it when I went on holiday last year, and yes, I did cut down on the amount of tweeting and stuff, but I still checked it because, you know, I have to. Twitter and social media cannot possibly function without my making opinions and retweeting. But yeah. Rob, what's the longest you've gone without social media or, or checking emails in, obviously, the past recent couple of years? Um, well, social media is easy. Um, obviously, yeah. I use it for the day job, but yeah. other than that, I don't care. What? Uh, What's the matter with you two? You're supposed to be addicted to it like everybody else is. No. No. Uh, so, social media, not a problem. Um, I think uh, the, the biggest problem for me with what Stu's been talking about is the whole, you know, let's, let's go around... Hundreds and thousands of people. <laughs> Does not sound appealing. No. I mean, you could probably find a corner and try and hide away from people, but I think you going to an event that size, you're probably going to bump into people. Yeah, you know, if there was a, you know, uh, a sheep in the corner I could talk to or something like probably, that, you know. Probably do a lot with a sheep, but obviously make sure it's consensual. But here's a, here's a question for you, Stu. So you went down in the big group. People... Yeah. You know, the people outside of the group, do they sort of, like, make friends? And I'm not trying to be a smart ass. I'm just a genuine question. Do they sort of become chatty with the people in your group or do they sort of go, there's a group there, we'll leave them alone? Does everybody keep themselves to themselves or is it very, a bit like when you go to a Comic-Con or some big event, you end up speaking to people that you've never met before, you're probably never going to see again, but you kind of get on because you've all got the same mindset and the same interests? It's the latter. Um, the best thing about download is you'll end up speaking to people you never thought you would ever speak to. Um, it, everybody looks out for each other. Yeah. You would think that because you're at a festival with like eight people in my, uh, my case, that it will just be us. But if something happened to you, you know somebody will actually instantly try to help you. Um, you're guaranteed to have a good conversation with somebody. You're guaranteed to meet very strange people, but everybody looks out for each other. Um, it's like it's unbelievable because you think that the metal, um, the genre of metal and rock and deathcore and all that kind of stuff is a lot of depressing people. And yeah. it's honestly far from the truth. Everybody is there to look out for each other, to enjoy themselves, to make sure that everybody is actually just enjoying themselves. And so it's a big, huge, massive community just wanting to just get on. So it, it's it's lovely. It's really nice to see that. Considering so, all the shit that happens in this world, oh, yeah. like, wouldn't you just want to live in that download world and you know, yeah. fuck off the rest that of the world? Be, basically, you really would. You could be around forty thousand people who were there for the same reason as you are. It'd be like it, just, it'd be like you, Rob, going and hanging around forty thousand Star Trek fans. Yeah, kind um, of. 
you know, it's it's it's. I remember going when I was helping Neil film the the Rhapsody of Fire gigs, and I'm not quite sure what genre they fall into. Uh, Neil, Neil will probably message me going, actually, they're this, but they're either a rock band or a metal band. They're one of the two, and I was sort of filming three gigs in three nights, and they, you know, all I've never seen so much long hair in my entire life, and it's all metal fans or, or whatever. And I'm like, oh my god, I feel like a fish out of water because I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans and stuff, and I don't look the part. I've never met such a nice bunch of people in my entire life. And I was chatting to people more there who I didn't know who they were. And they didn't. There was one guy who stood next to my camera tripod on the third gig, I think it was. And I'd set up early. And so I'd staked my thing, right? That's where my tripod's going so I can get a perfect view. And there was a big guy stood next to me. He was probably about six foot odd, long hair, leather jacket, tattoos everywhere. And he bumped my tripod and I just looked at him and he just looked at me and went, oh, I'm really sorry about that. And he was, he was the most polite human being I've ever met. And you think, hang on a minute, where's all this stereotypical stuff about people going to music festivals and concerts and they're all thugs and want to kill you? It's all bullshit. <laughs> Nicest people ever because they're all there with a common interest. Yep. So there you go. So you had a good old time at Download. So that was a, yeah. Who was the best band that you saw? That's that- a hard question. Um Biffy Clyro were, were brilliant. I love Biffy Clyro anyway. Kiss were fantastic. Oh, wow. So Kiss live. Yeah. Um, and Iron Maiden, they were brilliant. Um, Shine Down. There's a band I love called Spirit Box. I adore Spirit Box, and that was the first time they've actually played live in the UK as well. Um, so I got to see them. Um, Malevolence, which are a brilliant deathcore uh, band from the UK. Amazing band. They're such a ton of energy. Um, Ice Nine Kills which uh, do movie music. Okay. Um, so they take horror films and actually do metal songs and rock songs to horror films. Um, and they are brilliant. Um, Normandy, a band from Sweden, which I absolutely love as well. So ton of bands. It was just brilliant. But you've seen, that that must be Deadpool. kind of cool to go, I've seen Kiss live and Iron Maiden yep. live. On their final ever tour as well. This um, after they've done with uh, this, the the um, the festivals, that's it. They are splitting off. There is no more kiss oh, after wow. um, after the end of this year. And so I can see it for the last one of the last times in the UK. I've seen kiss. Yeah, nice. And Rob, you and yes. I have pretty much watched lots of streaming platforms. Yeah, and, and computer screens. So. That's right. You know, we didn't go out uh, anywhere. We've not really done much, but we've watched lots of television and stuff like that. So, Stu, you win this week for actually going out and, and enjoying the world. May I say I'm that dedicated to uh, kind of the things that I enjoy doing that I'm at the moment multitasking and <gasps> watching whilst talking. What? Exactly. That's never that's never a good thing to admit when you're on a podcast going, actually, I'm well, doing something it's, it's, else. It's never happened, happened before. <laughs> However, I'm, uh, I'm brutally disappointed that this podcast happened to be at the same time that there was a, a live streaming auction by one of my favourite vloggers on the internet. So uh, what are they here o- I am. What, what are they auctioning? Give us some examples. Wrestling stuff. Oh, like... Uh, like- like uh, natural well, libre masks or whatever it is. Well, no, I, I say wrestling stuff. Um, uh, oil. The the guy uh, who's who's doing it is a wrestler, but he also is a huge kind of retro toy collector. Okay. So what he's what he does is when he goes on his uh, toy hunts every week, um, sometimes he'll pick extra things up and uh, kind of 
put them out there for auction. So, um, you know, those who uh, who like wrestling will know that there's a um, uh, a character uh, who was uh, popular on WWE called Hornswoggle, um, uh, a, a little person. I, I, uh, I was thinking it sounds like a character at a labyrinth, but you know, you've. I knew Hornswoggle. It was from yeah. the era when I used to watch uh, wrestling. Yeah, and um, he's good friends with uh, Ethan Page, who's the the guy I'm watching right now, Mm -hmm. and uh, they often go on toy hunts together. So what he did is he bought a a Game of Thrones Peter Dinklage figure, and uh, Hornswoggles wrote, um, fuck fuck Peter Dinklage, and then signed his name on it. So just just stuff like that. There was uh, um, a Luke Skywalker figure that they've, just auctioned a Mr. Freeze Batman figure. Uh, he's just auctioned an action figure of himself. Um, so I'm just keeping an eye on what's going on in case I need to uh, spend some money. Let me know if there's a job lot of uh, signed Amber Heard figures because I will <laughs> I will happily buy those because I don't think anybody else is buying them. They, they seem to be a bit mad with her at the minute. There, there isn't for, any of those, I don't think. For some apparent reason. Of, uh, I don't know why. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Brilliant. Oh, the Johnny Depp ones will go for a fortune because the, the internet <laughs> likes him, don't they? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so it's it's near enough the end of June, guys. It's apparently it's six months till Christmas, so it's probably six months and a day less or whatever till Christmas. But I don't give a shit because I don't like Christmas. But, it only uh, feels like we were chatting uh, and uh, kind of welcoming in the new year a, a week does. ago. Well, I think it was. I think time has no meaning anymore. Uh, <laughs> clearly, doesn't in the US. Because uh, it's just gone back fifty years, so we'll have to try and True. get used to the whole. I was really considering calling this episode "Fuck the Supreme Court." Do you think I'd get away with that, or do you think Talk Show, the hosting website, might go, mm, "Not really a fan if you call the episode Fuck the Supreme well, Court." Well, well, I have to say that uh, um, in America, one of your one of your biggest rights is the right uh, of kind of freedom of speech, so you can oh, say that's... whatever you want. So I could say that the Supreme Court are a bunch of idiots and how dare they do such a horrendous rule. Um, and, you and, know, and, and may we say, like this is three of uh, uh, three idiots and uh, two who weren't idiots and apologised after. But yeah. obviously three to two means that, that the three idiots win. And so I thought there was seven on that, but I guess... Annette, oh, maybe. Annette, oh, no, I don't know what it was. But Annette said, I would be curious to find out how many are women... Um, no, I know for a fact one of them is. It was one. Was yeah. it just yeah. one? Just, yeah. just like. Uh, was, oh. It was. Um, I think it was like. It was eight to two or something like that was the, the vote uh, or something. Right. One of them was a woman. But you should have titled the episode um, Supreme Court Are Trash. And. Um, I could still do bold the first letter, uh, The first letter of each word. Because then it. Uh, this word <laughs> stat. Could. So I could. it's double meaning. They are trash and they are shit as well. So I may still do that because I always name the episodes after I've done them. So, but yeah, a shout out to Supreme Supreme Court who are a bunch of fucking morons, and hopefully that <laughs> gets sorted out. Rob's getting really nervous now because he's like, I don't like doing politics on a podcast. I don't like doing politics, <laughs> but I completely agree. They are Good. fucking morons. So this is a bit of politics. We're okay. So we could maybe this, do this, a. This is- this is one where I finally decided to step into the ring. <laughs> and then next week, Rob will be like, so let's talk politics. You're like, nope, one and done last week, bitch. And then, and then that'll be it. But yeah, shout out to the Supreme Court who are fucking idiots. Um, and also shout out to the absolute idiots who feel the need to um, 
sort of say yes it's a good decision they're all over facebook at the minute they're like what they're just cutting and pasting the same answers into people's threads going oh it's a victory for this it's like it's not a victory for anything dickhead fuck off so even i've but been they, jumping they in they are the minority they really are um, they really are it's yeah. apparently uh 30 odd percent um yeah. wanted it and and the rest didn't so um there we go. Do you not think it's mind... And we're not going to make this all about politics, though, but Annette was watching a broadcast of it today cause she, and she saw... Because we'd recorded the Mark Commode's film review, which wasn't on because, you know, Joe Biden was giving a speech. And so we watched some of his speech and then she was like, why can't the president do something like that? I don't know. I guess that's the way America works, doesn't it? Where the president can say, this is what you should do. But then all the heads of the states or the senators or whatever go, nah, we're not going to bother doing that. And then Biden's can't do anything about it. It's a weird, apparent, it's a weird apparently setup. Apparently, there is, uh, oh, I, I can't remember what it's called now. There is something he can do, but he has to do it. And then it has to be voted on elsewhere. There is, there is one thing that, and apparently that is in the works already. Because yes. obviously Biden thinks that the Supreme Court it's true how could anybody not think the supreme court are a bunch of fucking idiots but yeah it's mind-blowing that in this day and age that was that was like this is what we're going to do you're like what is this 1930 or something it's 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 madness absolute madness and then we've got boris clown shoes over here thinking everything's fine and he's not going anywhere so it's oh like, yeah Jesus. boris he just wanted to build a 150 grand uh, treehouse for his kid didn't he he did um, he did and you know which is you know quite amazing when you know a lot of people are struggling to get on the housing market and 150 grand are buying a hell of a nice house so uh yeah what? Boris, the person who is uh, your, your normal prime minister, in touch with the, the 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 everyday commoner. Oh yeah, let's let's have someone build a hundred and fifty thousand pound treehouse in plain sight of a road, and it was the security yeah. services that shut it down. Wasn't it? They're like, yeah. no, you're not doing that because somebody will put a hole in it or whatever. But you know. So anyway, let's get on to nice things rather than talking about how <laughs> shit the Supreme Court is. So it's the the month of June. We've got literally like five days before July arrives or give or take or whatever. We need to get our June 10 films out. So that's why everybody's gathering together because it saves me some hassle uh, doing some. And uh, I could blame it all on Stu for being away at download, but no, it's my fault. Yeah. Because, you know. Yeah. No, you can't considering that I I did my uh, last month's one on time. You so did. You did. I went to download at the start of the month. It's not the fact that I'm going to download now or at no. Glastonbury. So <laughs> it's purely my fault. Because <laughs> what, what I don't want to do is end up doing about three podcasts a week because then the poor sods off to listen. They're like, geez, another one. And then I get deleted. So, yep. uh, but yeah. So, June, who wants to go for it? Rob, let's get yours out of the way because then we'll get to Stu's Thanks. and we'll be like, I've not heard of that. <laughs> that. That guy's out of the way, you know? Yeah. So what have you got? Go and educate us on the next 10 films from the ones out of your top 100 that you would take with you on a desert island. Right. Well, uh, the the very first one on my list is The Postman from 1997. Oh. Um, you know, what kind of... Kevin Costner post-apocalyptic wonder. Um, It's uh, a film that I've loved ever since it came out. I bought the VHS, I bought the DVD. Is it out on Blu-ray yet? 
I don't know. I don't think if it is, I'm probably going to have to buy it because I love that movie. I think it's a great. Shit title, but I think that's yeah. what the book's called. Um, it's a terrible title. I, but. I'm not sure it's uh, kind of whether it's out on Blu-ray or not. It should be. It should be. It should be out with all extras and a commentary. It should be on 4K and... by now. Come on. <laughs> it should be. As opposed to, in realistic terms, it's probably in a bargain bin somewhere because, you know, a lot of people have no taste. But yeah, yeah. Stu, have you seen Kevin Costner's The Postman? Um, I have, and it is out on Blu-ray. It is, is seven ninety-nine on Amazon. Oh, bargain. Ooh, I may have to buy that at some point now. Me too. I'm going to have to yep. upgrade the DVD quality version. Brilliant. Me too. So, uh, yeah, do you want to do your list of 10, Rob, or shall we just go round the bend and just do what I'll, I'll do mine if you want me to. Go That's for fine. it. What's next? Is it right, better than Postman? We've got some Mel Gibson one. It's Conspiracy Theory from 1997. Okay. Interesting choice, yep. Um, big Mel Gibson fan, have been kind of my whole life. Um, and kind of again conspiracy theory was um a movie that i went and bought on uh, vhs and then dvd haven't bought the blu-ray yet but you know if the price is right who knows um you know and kind of i think at the time when conspiracy theory came out it was a time where also I would buy the kind of more kind of strange X-File type magazines, you know, 14 times and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I, I could uh, kind of, I could get in the mindset of somebody who is kind of living a, a conspiracy theory and kind of, um, you know, I, I just thought the, the, the movie was really good. So, uh, uh, you know, and once you once you like a mu- movie, as we spoke about before, you've got the nostalgia that comes back in. So it stuck with me, yeah. and I think it's a great movie. I saw that at cinema when it came out, because I was a big Mel Gibson oh. fan, also a big Richard Donner fan as well, so he did that. It is also, by the way, a seven ninety nine on Amazon. Nice. Oh, bargain! <laughs> That's two that Rob's, <laughs> Rob's like, oh God, I'm going to stop going through my list because I'm spending too much money here on Amazon. Yeah, yeah forget, forget. Bidding on auctions from the states. <laughs> I'm on Amazon now. <laughs> exactly. So what's next? Right. What's the third one? Next is a film that you know I hold dear to my heart. It's the Peanut Butter Falcon from 2019. So uh, for those who don't know anything about it, um, you've got kind of Zach, the main character, who has uh, got special needs, um, and uh, he runs away from the care home that he's living at to pursue his dream of becoming a wrestler. What more would you want out of a movie? And I'm telling you, if it doesn't sound like your cup of tea, what I what I suggest is just watching the first five minutes, and you'll know which part I'm on about once you've seen it. But I guarantee after the first five minutes, you'll probably want to watch the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's one of those, you look at the title and you're like, that looks horrendous. And then you read about it, you're like, you know, I've seen films like that millions of times. And then you put it on, you're like, this is a great film, past the popcorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stu, have you seen, uh, I'm guessing you've seen Conspiracy Theory. Have you seen The Peanut Butter Falcon? I've seen Conspiracy Theory. haven't seen Peanut Butter Falcon. It's very good. It's very good. You love your feel-good films sometimes. That's definitely Yeah, I do. I, yeah. I go on my list, I do have a very, very good feel-good film on that list. Pretty, and, pretty much similar, so... And that's Netflix, isn't it, Rob? 
Uh, yeah, pretty sure. And the thing, the thing about that movie is, like you say, it's feel good. It's it's something that I personally believe in. That the the, the kind of whole story behind it is folly of dreams. Mm. You know, and that's what Zach in this uh, movie does, and it's inspiring. It's great. It's funny at times. It's serious at times. It's just great. And it's one of those rare things. It's actually a good film starring Shia LaBeouf, which is something we haven't seen for quite a while. So that's quite nice. Very true. Yep. Uh, right, number four on my list is, and it's important that you get the the at the beginning, the Transformers, the movie. So this uh, is the cartoon 1980s yeah, one, right? Yeah, that's the 1986 animated uh, Transformers movie, uh, you know, starring great people like Leonard Nimoy. Um, you know, for me, animation is always just its best when it's kind of kid shows from your own past. Uh, I loved uh, the kind of Generation 1 Transformers TV show. I own them all on DVD. Um, The movie is just that one kind of step above, you know, obviously bigger budget. Um, And, you know, who wouldn't like kind of your favourite cartoon uh, as a kid in a feature-length movie? The only downside is i never got to see it uh uh, on the big screen so i uh have to make do with the home projector which is still pretty good i have the soundtrack to that the composer sent me the the month yeah the soundtrack is amazing it is right so next number five number five uh one that everybody will know from 1993 it's mrs doubtfire yes good choice uh i it's one of those movies that just doesn't fail to to you know pick you up when you put it on you can put it on time and time again and not get bored with it you know robin williams is a special kind of person um who kind of was able to to just inject something extra into the movies that he starred in um and mrs doubtfire is such a kind of a classic um robin williams movie um you know my whole family enjoys it Addie loves it and it's not one of those um movies that um you any of us have ever got bored of you know we you know me and Addie have watched it several times it's it's just a classic i don't think i've ever encountered anybody that said yeah shit I'm sure there is somebody out there, but I don't think. Stu, have you ever encountered anybody that doesn't like Mrs. Doubtfire? Or do you not like Mrs. Uh, Doubtfire? I don't know. No, I I really like Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, No. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It is a universally liked film, pretty much similar to the first Home Alone. Yeah. Like, how can you hate it? I know. You might not be in the mood to watch it at that particular time, but that doesn't mean it's a bad film. But I've never met anybody that's disliked Home Alone or Mrs. Doubtfire or Stand By Me, which is also another wonderful, happy, feel-good film. So so number six, Rob, what you got? Right, number six is 2017, The Greatest Showman. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, oh, oh this will be fun, Stu. We'll get to talk about The Greatest Showman. I personally think it's great. Even though I hate musicals, that is one of the very few exceptions 
of a musical that I absolutely love. So go on, Rob. Back to you. Uh, I missed out seeing it at the cinema. Both uh, Addy and Nicole went, and I was working on um, on that day, so um, I, you know, didn't get to um, kind of go with them. Um, so I watched it when it came out. I believe we rented it, maybe um, digital rental or something like that. Um, and as soon as I watched it, knew that it was going to be kind of one of my all-time favourites. Um, then obviously went out, bought the Blu-ray and, you know, probably the first 12 months of its release, it was played at least, um, a couple of times a month in this household by somebody, um, you know, again, I keep saying it. One of the important things with a movie is its soundtrack. The soundtrack to The Great Showman is fantastic. Um, You know, again, it's a feel-good film. It's about going for uh, your goals, you know, shoot for them, no matter how uh, kind of ridiculous people might say they are or or whatever. It's, It's just a great film. Now, I remember, and I think it was you, Stu, it might have been Andy, but I suspect it was you, on your Monday movie show when you reviewed it, you said if you take the songs out, it's a meh film or whatever it is. I agree with that, it's, but the songs are in there, so therefore, for me, the film is better than it would be without the songs because the songs are really good. And I've got to criticise you there, Stu, because... Uh, that, that's if he that, said that, it. He's, he's not admitted he said it yet. That's just that, off the recollection. I think well, that's what he might have said. said it, that's <laughs> like saying, well, if you take the comedy out of uh, Robin Williams' uh, movie number 53, then uh, it's just a met movie. Oh, num- number 53 was Jack, so that was shit anyway. So, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, I get where you're headed, Rob. Was that correct, Stu? Was that, what was your thoughts on The Greatest Showman? Yeah, it was correct. I do get lasted all of the time for seeing that. Um, it, it is honestly true because yeah. they got P.T. Barnum completely wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not Barnum believable. In real life, he was horrible. He was yeah. nasty. He yeah, was yeah. really bad. Yeah. Um, I do admit that the songs are pretty good. Um, the songs are the thing that makes a film. But if you look at other films, musical-wise, like Oliver or Annie or something like that, you can still take the songs out of those films and the film itself would still be strong. There is a lot of heart behind Oliver without the songs in it. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds silly to say when it comes to a musical, but it's true. Oliver has a very deep Jeff story. Jeff Waterworld, crap without the songs. <laughs> well no that's true yeah well no you could have a point there because there is there is a lot to jeff wayne's war of the worlds that isn't songs but no it's i i remember Stu, your show was one of the only ones that when i wasn't on it which was more often than i was on it i would still talk to your show whilst i was listening to it and i remember getting really mad going but the songs are part of the film and i don't know why yeah. i was having a conversation with an episode that had been recorded hours before <laughs> but your show always made, always made me do that and I, I always quite like that it's like shouting at the, the tv often <laughs> the thing is the show wasn't recorded a few hours before no, but, it was always live yeah, yeah it was never a, pre-recorded no no but it was always it was always on my ipod when i was listening to it So I would listen to it on the iPod while I'm in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. So that's when I listen to podcasts. And I'd be like, what? And I would be having conversations that clearly weren't live, but I still did it anyway for many years. Well, it it is my criticism. Like like I said, you can look at films like Oliver. Oliver's a musical. Take out the songs, and it's still a really good, strong film. The Greatest Showman 
the story is very, very weak. It's very weak. The songs are the thing that saves that film. Yeah. You need to make both of them together for the film in its entirety to be strong. Um, and so <laughs> I'm not saying it's an awful film. It's not an awful film. Um, it's better than some of the films I watched that year. Yeah. But it's still nowhere near as good a film as people make it out to actually be because I personally think it's the songs that people are are seeing all the brilliant thing. Of course it is. Yeah, it's the, it's the songs and the performances of the songs which do make up part of the film. It's one of those things, it's like, I think we could just keep going round and round about it, couldn't we, Rob? Yeah. Going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. So I get I'm, where I'm you're... Trying co- to, <laughs> I'm trying to look for a, for a dead kipper to slap Stu with at the moment. <laughs> He's been hanging around at a film festival. He has probably smelt worse things <laughs> flying around. <It's> <laughs> around the thinks exactly the same every single time I say that about the great showman. So I'm so used to it now. But it's memorable because I remember that from years ago. What year was that, Rob? 2017? Yeah. So for like five years, Stu, that has been in my head exactly what you said about The Great Showman. So yeah, yeah. your show is memorable. Uh, hopefully you've not got a Pirates of the Caribbean in your list there somewhere, Rob. Or <laughs> Stu may just explode and, and uh, assassinate you. So what have you got next? Um, the next one on my list is from 1985, Brewster's Millions. Oh, that's actually my top 100. I don't know if I've already mentioned I think I did, actually. But you so. did. You you have already mentioned it. But, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, again, one of those classic ones. Uh, nostalgia comes into it. Um, you know, I probably first watched uh, the movie when I was about 9, 10 years old. So, um, saw it at cinema, that one. Oh. Yes. I was just a bit too young, but yeah, um, you know, uh, another really, really good film. Good choice. Yep. Stu, is that one you've seen? Richard Pryor, Bruce's Millions. I have. It's not on my list, no, no. surprise there, but no. yeah, it's a decent eighties film. It is. Anything with John Candy and is worth watching, uh, mm-hmm. at least even just once. Uh, but some of them are worth watching more than once. So, what's next? Uh, the next one um, would. Wouldn't be as good a film if it hadn't got um, <laughs> Harry Potter in it, but it's uh, Escape from Pretoria 2020. That was good. I was thinking, which Harry Potter film is it? But it is, <laughs> it is not. Um, I like this film because on paper, it's a film that I go, really? Yeah. You know, some guy thrown into a prison and he breaks out. Wow. Yeah, I've seen that a few hundred times, but it's just captivating just kind of watching um kind of how it's done the ways they go about things uh kind of the tense moments when um you feel that they could get caught it just kind of is riveting and it's uh, a film that made me realize that that daniel radcliffe is more than harry potter and made me want to kind of seek out every film he ever does now yeah, because you did that, didn't you? I mean, this yeah. one's on Amazon Prime, and I know that when you and I speak, there's usually a Daniel Radcliffe film pops up yeah. at some point. Obviously, you've got him playing Weird Al Yankovic pretty soon, so that'll be interesting to watch. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Escape from Pretoria, that was one you recommended to me. I put it yeah. on, and I'm like, oh, another prison movie. I've seen them all. But like you, I've never been so on the edge of my seat with someone trying to get a little piece of wood to work. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. This is <laughs> Tense. Very good film. What's so, next? Uh, number nine on my list is from 1987, and it's Masters of the Universe. Oh, Jesus. Right, this is in your top 100. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. 
I, you see, I love how you say that, but I um, kind of last watched it probably about four years ago. Um, and I say it every time I watch it, it still stands up today because yeah. it's practical effects. Um, you know, there's bits that watching it kind of um, now compared to in the 90s when I first saw it um, that I pick up on. Um, so we've got Tom Paris in there from Voyager. we got Courtney Cox making her uh, debut um, appearance in there as well. It's the thing that made me crave KFC buckets of chicken. Um, it's got so much going for it. <laughs> I, I will let you have the the practical effects do still hold up, yeah. But beyond that, um, you know, I'm struggling. <laughs> and who didn't want the key to make you know so you could kind of play that cool tune that it plays? I cannot. I haven't seen that film since like 1988. In which case, so, you, you know, can't say anything bad about it, Stuart. If you can't no. remember it, go back watch it, it's, and then we'll talk. It's a bit like you no, know, I was run over when I was a kid. I don't feel the need to jump in front of a car now to remember how painful an experience that was. Because you do know, top going to be nothing without planes. Oh, I was listening to a podcast, and hopefully the guys at Glo- Golan Globus are listening to this episode. But they they did a recent episode on the first Top Gun, and they both watched it. And I was getting very mad with their episode because they didn't like it and they were ridiculing it. And I was I was doing that thing because I don't talk to Stu's podcast anymore, and so it's just like I was getting really mad that the fact that they were slagging off Top Gun. So I genuinely <laughs> had to stop the episode. I'm like, nope, nope, Top Gun's a classic. How dare you? So I may go back to it at some point, but uh, I was. Uh, lightheartedly mad with the guys for ridiculing such a damn classic film. So, yeah, what is your final one then? My final film is from 1995. Yeah. Uh, I owned it on VHS, DVD, have the soundtrack, um, the collectible edition with film cells. It's Braveheart. Okay. Yeah, you got a Blu-ray because it may be seven pound ninety-nine on. I have not a know. Blu-ray, but I'm sure yes. it is seven pound ninety-nine. To be honest, <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> Stu's just now checking. Going, yes, it is seven pounds ninety-nine. Indeed, <laughs> just out of curiosity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting for breaking news. It is eight pounds. Yeah, breaking 99. news. But our Brave Art is a good film. And did you? I saw that at the cinema as well. As you could tell, I used to go to the cinema a lot back in the day. I want to say I think I did see Braveheart at the cinema. Wow. Um, you know, um, being Mel Gibson, um, being at a time where I was at an age where I could get up and take myself off to the cinema, finally, um, I think I did see it. And uh, oh, what, a, what a great... And again, it's got a great soundtrack. It really All, is. You know, films that really stand out to me have great soundtracks. Yeah. Um, so, um, but it, but if you take the soundtrack out of it, it's not a very good soundtrack, is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I sat down. I'm waiting for Stu's list because I'm telling you, Stu, if there's any animated films on there, if you take the animation out, they're not as good. No, the thing is, with the ones that Stu would suggest, they, prob- they probably are just near enough as good because the dialogue and the soundtrack would probably be amazing if he's got any Ghibli ones in there. <laughs> they would work if you shut your eyes as well. So, uh, But yeah, Braveheart, I sat down and interviewed or had a conversation with one of the cast members from Braveheart for like an hour. The little girl, Hans Mel- the young Mel Gibson, the flower, Vary Calvi. So I asked her all about how she sort of ended up being in Braveheart. And it was basically a casting director, drove past the playground and went, she looks like the person, pulled up 
when I, creepy. I, creepy. Creepy. I mean, nowadays you wouldn't get away with that, would you? No, not at all. But back then, you could. You could just cruise up and down and then look at children outside schoolyards. But, you know, how times change. So, yeah, not a bad list. Is seven ninety nine on Blu-ray? Amazon clearly have a seven ninety nine sale at the minute. But Amazon obviously know what, what I'm putting on my list, and they're, they're doing a deal, especially for are. the podcast listeners. But, but what's the? But if you want the one with the original cover yeah. um, from the VHS, that is nine pound ninety six. Oh. Or if you want it on four K, it's uh, sixteen ninety five. I want the longer what? cut that is rumoured, the extended mm. one that Mel Gibson keeps teasing and saying he wants people to pay for it. It's like, come on, Mel. Seriously, you must still be living off lethal weapon money to pay for <laughs> it. You directed the film. The only time we'll ever see that is if we ever see the extended cut of Event Horizon. It's never oh, going to happen. Exactly. It's like, how, when? I, that cut has been rumoured for decades, isn't it, Stu? Yep. yep. Even I'm still waiting for that one. But yep. not a peep. So, Stu, what have you got for your ten? Um, right, uh, the first one. If you disagree with me on the first one, I'm going to slap both of you. Um, <laughs> I'm just seeing what I can delete out of it to make it not as good. So, <laughs> carry on. Ghostbusters. Well, well, without the ghost, it's a pretty yeah. crap film. Actually, I think without the ghost, it'd still be a pretty good film. But I know I get we edited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ghostbusters, nobody can argue with that. Yeah, nobody can. Because um, even the sequel is very good. The Paul Fig one, eh. mm-hmm. it, it's it's not as horrible as a lot of people make no. it out to be. No, it's not. And then um, the recent Ghostbusters film, I cried at it. So I have to admit, I did actually cry um, at that one. But I love Ghostbusters. It, it is like Mrs. Doubtfire. It's one of those films where you could just stick on and just enjoy it if you've had a, a really crappy day. If you want one of those films, a, a feel-good film on a Sunday. I know Colin Ghostbusters is a feel-good film. Yeah. Be interesting to see it. But it, it is a, a feel-good film to watch on a Sunday. Um, it, it, it'll stand the test of time because of the practical effects, the comedy. There's stuff in there for young audience to adults. Because I remember when I watched it the first time and I didn't get some of the jokes, and then when I, the more I grew up, the more uh, when I understood what an adult was, was, the more I got the adult jokes. So yeah. mm. it, it's, there's so many layers to Ghostbusters. That's why it's genius. There's a lot more Can swearing and, and sort of dodgy dialogue that you wouldn't want kids to listen to yeah. that's in that film. Oh, yeah. that, you know, I mean, I saw that at the cinema when I was 13 on my own, and I, wasn't, I didn't come out horrified. But yeah. Well, Addie's watched it with me, and I think she was nine at the time, so... <laughs> Did you not sort of crick? Did you forget how much bad language there were? I mean, it's not up there with Goodfellas or anything, but you know, oh, dickless and all this sort of stuff. You're like, oh my god, my nine-year-old daughter sat it, next to me. Ah. Oh, it it doesn't bother me one bit. You know, you know, nine-year-olds nowadays, the the stuff that they hear. You know, it's it's true. you know, she knows yeah. that that movies or TV shows, some of them have language that you know is there for a reason in the show. However, you don't use it yourself. Yeah. And nor are you going to sit down and watch Serbian film or Human Centipede (laughs) 2 or anything with her, so... No. And I have to ask you, though, were you a bit disappointed in Afterlife uh, that Slimer wasn't there, or was that all right? That was all right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it it was fine, because 
you don't need to cram everything in from the franchise of the Ghostbusters. Yeah, I know yeah. there was like nods to the uh, the Stay Push, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, so um, the mini ones. So that's fine. But there is an animated movie coming. There is another live action film come, which is gonna uh, center on Winston Zedmore, um, ah. set in the um, in the original Ghostbusters firehouse because he bought that. Ah, uh, this is this is where we've got the uh, the uh, post credit scene, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Slimer will show up in that, but you didn't need to actually put everything from from um, the original Ghostbusters into um, Afterlife. Yep. What's next? So obviously we all agree on Ghostbusters deservedly being in the list, so that's good. Next one, you'll definitely agree with this one as well, so I'm going to be two for two. Aliens. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not alien, aliens. Uh, so the second one. I know I've got a bit of a, a list at the moment just because I've got me tongue pierced, so it's just aliens. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking like I've got cotton balls stuck in my mouth. Uh, but aliens, it, 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 it's... It's a different feeling film to Alien, which I think that was the smartest way to do it. Because if they did a film very similar in tone to Alien, I don't think it would have had the impact that um, Aliens did. Because if James Cameron just pretty much did um, a heartbeat version of Ridley Scott's film, I think the impact for Ridley Scott's first film would have been lost. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was a smart idea to make it more a broad kind of action film very similar like Predator um, than Alien, and it worked because it do, they do feel like two different films, um, and it, it just works brilliantly, whether you watch the director's cut or the theatrical cut, both work brilliantly. Um, it will always, again, practical effects, the Aliens, they're just phenomenal. They are some of the best design creatures ever when it comes to films, and so I just love Aliens. I'll watch it every single year, guaranteed to watch it every single year. Now, if you have two films sitting next to each other, you've got Alien and Aliens, which do you instinctively think is the better film? I love them both, but I'm going Alien. Alien. Rob? Yeah, I think Alien. Yeah. But we still love Aliens. It's cool. Uh, Extended Cut is my preferred Mm -hmm. one. Sentry guns and all that sort of stuff. So, good choice. Yep. Two for two. You were right, Stu. Are you going to be three for three? I hope. Next up is uh, from 2014 Ex Machina. Uh, the Alex yeah. Garland film. I, li- I like it. Um, it's cl- it's very well made. It's very clever. But I'm not... I I don't love it. Uh, but it was, I, I like it. So It was his directorial debut because um, he obviously worked alongside uh, Danny Boyle on things like Sunshine. Yeah. Um, and so it was his directorial debut to see what he could actually do. And um, I, I thought he came out all guns blazing. Yeah. It, it, it is a it, again. You look at um, you look at the practical effects in that film, and they are phenomenal. The practical effects, uh, but it, it's just such a, a tense film because it is pretty much set in one small area, and it makes you you question humanity um, in a in more intelligent way, in a very creepy way. And um, Oscar Isaac's. Um, it was he was an actor that wasn't on anybody's radar. Who pretty much nobody knew who he was. At least if I can do as well. Um, even though people think this is her acting debut, she was in a film that came out a few months prior, um, and so she was in like three films within the space of like four months. And she showed how much of a brilliant actress she is. 
Um, I think it's just creepy for creepy sake, yeah. but it's intelligent sci-fi. And intelligent sci-fi with me just clicks really. Like, like um, even though a lot of people hate this, uh, the genre of horror found footage, I love found footage horror films. Um, intelligent sci-fi just clicked with me. And Ex Machina just really clicked with me. Now, Rob, you've seen Ex Machina? I have indeed. Good. I was going to say, if you if you said I have not, then it would be like you need to write this down and you need to make sure you watch <laughs> it because it, it is very, very smart, serious sci-fi slash mm-hmm. horror. Um, that's I do like. I think for a directorial debut, that's just insane, isn't it? That's like I wouldn't have even known that that was his directorial debut. So, you know, well done, Alex. For that one, so yeah, you are three for three. What's, um, what's I'm going what's to be four for four with this one. You get you get cocky now. The uh, the <laughs> John Carpenter seventy eight one. Yes, I oh, definitely uh, four for four. Um, I, I thought when I was put my list together, I didn't want to be um, like, I didn't want to put Halloween in the October list because that was just too obvious. I didn't want to do that, and so I thought, you know what, let's put, uh, move a, a few things around. So I stick Halloween in June. Yep. Because uh, horror should be celebrated all year too, anyway. But um, it is a tense film. I know what some people who didn't grow up even in the 80s or even in the early 90s who watch Halloween now and go, it's not scary. It's so slow-paced. That's the point. Yeah, It is meant to be slow-paced because it is meant to build tension. Horror films do not have to be quiet, quiet, bang all of the time or jump scares all of the time. It needs to have character development. It needs to build tension. And John Carpenter proved that he was the master of building tension uh, when he created Halloween. And I think it still holds up today because it is that tension-building one. A lot of directors shy away from it. And there are a few directors out there which will actually embrace it. Um, And so I think a lot of directors these days need to take a leaf from Carpenter's boot and try a lot more tension-filled films. Like, I've seen The Black Phone, Scott uh, Derrickson's new film, um, and you would think by watching the trailer, it would go out for lots of jump scares and things like that. It doesn't. It actually has malevolence to it because it builds up tension. And Halloween is the perfect example of a, a horror film which actually does that. So, hi, yeah, if, if you haven't seen Halloween, then what? <laughs> Yeah, why you listen to a film podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's just what? So, Rob, I know you're a massive fan of Halloween, so what's your, Halloween, what's your my pitch favorite, on it? Yep. favourite horror movies. It was in my uh, my first ten, um, you know, for, for our kind of uh, series of uh, these favourite movies, so I can't agree more with Stu there, unfortunately. Unfor- unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like agreeing with Stu. It's just, you know, we don't like disagreeing is the correct way to do it. It wouldn't be as good a, a movie without the, uh, the <laughs> Captain Kirk mask, though. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. No. So, four for four, doing well. I think this is maybe we're getting into dangerous territory now because, you know, there's quite a few films that A, we've heard of and seen, but B, that we agree with as well. So, what's next? Uh, leave No Trace. Oh... Damn. Never, I don't even know what this is about. So I'm out on that one, Rob. Do you, are you familiar with a film called Leave No Trace? No. Uh, oh. IMDb is going to tell me in a second. I'm oh. sure. Well, we did it's, four for four. So. 
Yeah, it's directed by Deborah Granite. It stars uh, Thomas and Mackenzie and Ben Foster. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful little film. Leave no trace. It's about a father and daughter who live off the grid. Oh, so I've seen it. it. I've seen it. So I'm five for five. Yes, I watched this like a couple of years ago. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes. They live in the forest, um, out the way of everybody, and then they are spotted one day. And so they try to drag both the father and daughter back to society. The daughter seems more into it than the father is, because the father is just pretty much looking after his daughter's needs and believe that you can look after each other without the help from anybody else. And it is just a, a film that explores a father-daughter relationship when a daughter pretty much needs to, unfortunately, be brought up in normal day society. Um, it's a beautiful film. Mm. Absolutely. Be- I think I named it my second, if not first, best film of the year in 2018. And a lot of people have not seen it, and it's criminally underseen, that film, because it's just an acting masterclass from Ben Foster and Thomas and Mackenzie. Um, it, it does actually feel like Ben Foster is actually Thomas and Mackenzie's uh, father. Because they'll just clear off each other so well. So if if you haven't seen Leave No Trace, highly, highly, highly recommend that film. Yeah, I'd just forgotten about the title. And then when you'd mentioned the description, I'm like, I know that film. I've looked it up and I'm like, did the guy have a beard? And it's like, yes, he does have a beard. I saw yeah. that film and it is really, really good. They are I, they're a cracking pair on screen, those two. I have it on a watch list somewhere to watch um, because when I've looked it up, um, you know, I realised that it sounded like something that uh, I'd seen before, but um, it's on a watch list, so it hasn't been ha- hasn't been watched, but it will be watched. I think I watched oh, it as part PG. of. A, it, yeah, yeah. It's a PG as well, so um, it, it is suitable for like a father daughter kind of. Um, that that actually be the perfect setting a father daughter kind of watch mm-hmm. because both of you will actually get something perfectly from that film mm. yeah i Definitely. might just do that so i'm on five for five so i'm doing well this is like probably the highest running streak with Stu's list i've had for a while i think <laughs> yeah yeah you're gonna be six for six oh. so this is rare um, the shape of water yeah okay because you obviously knew that i was gonna have my list completely peppered with guillermo del toro because <laughs> yeah. i adore that director um, he, and when he makes a bad film, it's better than a lot of directors' good films. Um, but I, I, that film itself is its a love story from the 1930s, because it feels like a love story from the 1930s. But it's also a fantasy film, um, a horror film, um, little bits of comedy here and there. And you think, how the hell are you going to meld all of that together? And only one director can actually do that, and that's Del Toro. Um, it just melts it together with such perfect, even when you come up to the musical scene in the film, the, the part where they're dancing, you think, what? This is just completely left field. <laughs> but it works so well in the film. It, it just has the aesthetics right, the acting right, just everything about that film was just brilliant. Have you have you seen this one, Rob? I have indeed. Yeah. What did you think of it? I find it weird. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I can I, appreciate I, it. I don't love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the same. I was like... You know, I appreciate it, but you know, it's um, it's a bit weirder than Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a live action, very strange. Annette loves it; she thinks it's great. And she, every time she mentions that she loves it, she goes, "You know, I did." I'm like, I can appreciate it. I just, I, I couldn't quite get it. 
but I have seen it, so I'm doing well with Stu's list this week. I'm quite impressed, but I'm not cocky enough to think that I will have seen 10 because I know he's going to throw a curveball in here somewhere from some foreign filmmaker I've never heard of. Um, so next up, curveball time. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke too soon. Um, curveball time is uh, from 1920. Oh, Jesus. All right, okay. So, yeah. It's The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, I've not seen that one. That film is extremely creepy. Um, watch it alongside uh, Nosferatu, the Max von Schlecht film from 1927. Okay. Um, and it is a double bill of creepiness. It's only on for, I think, like 57 minutes. Um, it's doctor- directed by Robert Green, and it is uberly creepy. Um, it holds up to the definitely. It's black and white. It's silent. Um, there is no dialogue in the film at all. But it's just a menacing film because... You look at Nosferatu and everybody knows the scene where you've got the creeping shadow of Nosferatu going upstairs. Yeah. Um, and you think, oh, no, that's silly. But you watch it now in the dark and they'll guarantee that you'll get people scream at that scene. Just the entirety of the, doc- of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is pretty much that as well. That you saw on the edge of your seat because there is no dialogue. It is just silent. And so you wait and your your brain is just fixated about the tiny list, a tiny little noises around you. And you think, oh, is something gonna happen here? Is something gonna happen here? And the tent you're building the tension within yourself. And movies from the nineteen twenties, silent horror films from the nineteen twenties, if you want a scare, then sit down and stick something on like that. And the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is definitely, definitely one of those kind of films to watch for that. Heard of it, never seen it, but I will make sure I watch it, especially because I'm 57 minutes, so I can boost my film watching list by one in an hour. So um, I broke your, your streak. You did. Let's get back on track with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I love that film. As a kid, um, I grew up watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit. came out in 88. Um, I went to see it at the cinema. Um, it was uh, one of the first outings that my parents took me to the cinema where it was like a full family kind of uh, thing, situation, because normally it used to either be mum that took me to the cinema um, or I went with one of my uncles. But this was like one of the, the times when it was like the whole family kind of thing. It was about six or seven of us and we went for food after it. So it's like that kind of memorable thing. And again, it's one of those films that when you watch it as an adult, you don't realise how many sexy jokes are in the film, like adult-orientated jokes are in the film because you're more fixated as a child on the cartoon characters and the slapstick humour that's happening with the cartoon characters. But the the older you get, the more you realise how brutal that film actually becomes. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just genius, that film. It's so many years, it's so humorous, it's just, it still holds the test of time to hear. And the recent Space Jam film, could have definitely took a leaf from uh, the original Space Jam and Hoover and Roger Rabbit on how to do an animated live-action hybrid because Space Jam got it completely wrong. Um, so Hoover and Roger Rabbit, genius little film. Good choice. Yep, seen that one. Rob, I'm guessing you've seen that one too. I have indeed. Has Addy seen that one? No, not yet. No? Are you going to go and vet it, aren't you? Because Stu said there's a lot of rude jokes in it. Like no, I, <laughs> I'm not going to vet it. Um, you know, as long as it doesn't have um, shock therapy like uh, Return to Oz in, a, in an asylum, then we're good. No. You know, come sit down, Addy. You know, I know you're only six. You're going to love this. Oh, my 
God. Have you, uh, right, here's a question for you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put a film on for Addy yeah, and you to watch? Was, and we were about, she was about <laughs> six or seven years old. And um, I'm like, oh, you're going to love it. It's, you know, got some uh, different characters. This, like, robot, wind-up robot called TikTok. You, you love him. And then I switch it on and I'm going, okay. Oh, oh, why are we in a sat? Oh, Yeah. And uh, I quickly made up some kind of excuse to switch it off. I did that with Coyote Ugly, which is a film I really do like and I've seen lots of times. And I sat down with Annette and her, at the time, 12-year-old daughter to watch. Now, Coyote Ugly had brought out a director's cut, which had like an extra three or four minutes in the film. (laughs) I hadn't seen the extra three or four minutes, but kind of stupidly figured it would be the same tone as the rest of the film. But it wasn't. There was like a pretty much hardcore sex scene in it. And I'm like, oh, my God. So Annette's looking at me going, why are you sitting down watching this with my 12-year-old? I'm like, I didn't know the scene was in it. It's an extended... I had to, you know, your (laughs) honour, sort of try and defend (laughs) my, uh, my thing on that one. So now I make sure that I do vet films. I even have to vet them before Annette watches them because we once sat down and watched Straw Dogs from the 70s and Annette got up and left the room and fell out with me for like two days because there was a nasty rape scene in it, as opposed to a nice rape scene, I guess. But there was a rape scene in it and she, she fell out with me. I'm like, I didn't make the film. I'm just, it's a classic. It's got Dustin Hoffman and Susan George and stuff in it. But she genuinely fell out with me for two or three days. So there are certain types of films that I will not watch in her company, so it's, I'm not. I'm not going to sit down and go, "Hey, let's watch the I Spit on Your Grave" quadrilogy or however many of those films there are. It's about fifteen of them or whatever. So, but yeah. So, what's next, Duke? Um, ironically, The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> ironically, um, what can be said about The Wizard of Oz? Um, it, it's just get. I watched this for the first time when I was. In infant school, um, it was a film that was shown by me. Infant school, um, you know, when you get more closer to the end of term, mm-hmm. you're pretty much they're just going, you know what? Let's not do school work. Let's just faff around and just enjoy yourself a little. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, they they showed uh, the Wizard of Oz, and I just fell in love with it. Absolutely loved it. Directed by six different directors, which is people think, oh, it's only directed by one, but there was six. Five of them uncredited. But, yeah, it, it, I still think it holds the test of time to hear it as well, yeah. being able to go from black and white into colour. Um, and it's just such an iconic movie for a reason, because it's such a, a family-friendly, nice, lovely film, unlike uh, Journey Back to Oz, where it'll scare the crap out of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's so, a film yeah. that used to be on every Christmas, didn't it? That? And I used oh, yeah. to watch it every single Christmas. Now I have it on DVD. Apparently, the the ruby slippers were supposed to be uh, silver. I think I remember that, because on Shudder, there's a Cursed Films uh, series, and I think season two, the first episode, is about Wizard of Oz, and that's fascinating. It yeah. uh, goes through everything. It goes through the ruby slippers. It goes through the, the apparent munchkin hanging themselves. It goes the, through the supposed orgies that all the, the you know, the, the everybody was hovering in was blue and uh, a light pink but the uh the the lights kind of bleached out the pink and you got the blue and white oh wow. great yeah and the, um the one who played the wicked witch of the west she did the voice of cinderella in disney's oh. uh, cinderella i did not um, know that. yep uh, she did the voice of cinderella plus um when um when 
that all the scenes were actually filmed and they were took off set, then Dorothy had a sort of like fear being scared of the Wicked Witch of the West because she was so nice uh, to her uh, um, during, like, outside of shooting that yeah. she could not be scared. <laughs> and so had to reshoot quite a few scenes again because there was no terror um, on Dorothy's face. It's called acting, darling. It's called acting. Just act scared, for God's sake. Yeah. It'll give you a bottle of booze. <laughs> Thank you. I can act scared now. Right, so what's next? Final film. Um, again, it's a film that you have definitely not seen. It's The Boy and the Beast. Not saying that. It is an animated film from uh, Mamoru Usada, a Japanese film. He did um, The Girl Who Let Through Time, okay. um, Mirai, Bell. Um, it's The Boy and the Beast is very ghibli in a way. Um, it is about uh, a boy who gets bullied. He ends up discovering this world um, just by chance after getting chased down a back alley by uh, some bullies from his school. And he discovers that this world where he stumbles upon is humans do not exist. It is just um, beast-like characters. And he befriends this beast-like character who he discovers is aiming to be king of this uh, land. And he needs the strength and the sort of like, guidance of this beast person so he can build up um, the strength to go up against these bullies in his uh, real life. It, it's a very atypical sort of like Japanese film when it comes to somebody who is down on their luck or getting badly treated who escapes to a fantasy world because a lot of Japanese animated films do rely on that trope a lot um, and it's hard to find very similar to when you do watch like a found footage film or when you watch like a vampire film or a zombie film to find something unique with inside uh, that genre and um, with this film I think it's just the way that uh, Mamoru Hosada sort of like melds the world together I think he just handles it in such um, grace and brilliance that it, it does stand out from the rest that copycats it. So highly recommended if you're looking for an animated film outside of Ghibli when it comes to Japanese stuff. But more of Hosada's films are very easy to get into. Um, so highly recommended. Bell, if you're looking for his easiest film, is his easiest film to watch. If you want to show two, again, um, your daughter, if your daughter's of a young age or, or something like that, Bell is the easiest one to get into. And then you go with things like The Girl Who Leapt Through Time and The Boy and the Beast and um, Mirai and Wolf Children. Yeah. So, yep. The Boy Rob, and the Beast. Rob, do you want to make your animation joke? No. No? I'm you're letting him off. Now. You're letting him off. Yeah. Right? You're bored now. The moment has passed. Yeah. It's fine. Right. Well, my 10, I have got... Uh, how many do I think Stu's seen? I think... Oh, I don't know. I know you've seen this next one, Stu. Rob, I don't think you've seen it. It is, uh, <laughs> it is directed by Lucky McKee. It's from 2011. It is definitely a horror film starring Pollyanna McIntosh, and it is The Woman. Brutal film. Amazing film. I never, film. never tire of watching that film. And I'd watched that with Pollyanna McIntosh plays the title The Woman, who is, uh, she's running around in a river trying to catch fish so she could eat them because that's how she lives. She's a bit of a savage. She is trapped and locked in a cellar by this wonderful, caring family who turn out not to be a nice, wonderful, caring family, and they decide to try and civilise her. Uh, that's the very easy thing for her. It's not a film you're going to sit and watch with your daughter, Rob, by any <laughs> means. 
Um, I remember sitting down with Annette and watching this, and she she looked at me a couple of times, going, "Why are you making me watch this?" <laughs> and then by the end of it, she realised just how amazing this film was. But it is it is brilliant. That film first popped on my radar because I would listen to a lot of different podcasts, and around the 2011 time, there was a lot of horror pod- podcasts and stuff I was listening to, and they kept banging on about this film, the woman, the woman, the woman. And then when I was working in Asda, like probably a few months after the thing was out on DVD and I, I stocked the shelf with it. I'm like, Oh, that's that film. Everybody keeps talking about. I'll give it a go. And then since then, it's always been in my favorite film list. Then I found out they did. It's not a prequel because the prequel came out before the woman, but there was a film called offspring, which was first, which I then watched second, not as good as the woman, but it gives you enough backstory. So you understand a bit more about the woman and then only a few years ago, there was a third part to it called Darling, uh, which I think works as a really good trilogy. But I think the woman is definitely the best out of the three. I think. But I Did you go Lucky McKee before watching uh, The Woman, or was that your first? That was my Lucky first. I, I still haven't seen May. That was my first. Was that your first um, it was the second film, uh, May. It's right. just because around that time, me and a friend, we used to be obsessed with trying to get hold of as many horror films as we possibly could. It was that kind of thing where I used to go into like Blockbuster and Global Video and try to find um, horror films that you've never seen. Yeah. And you used to try and get them illegally, big airports, so on copy discs and stuff like that. And um, when I used to go to his once a month, um, we used to try and get as many films as possible. And Mia was one of those films. And so... That was the first Lucky McKee film, but he's not a director who ends off directing a lot of films. I think no. he's already done like 13. Yeah. And considering the woman was 2011, I mean, he did an episode of Masters of Horror, which I've got. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's one of those, I think I've seen a lot of his films, but I haven't seen all of his films. But he's, he's one of those, I mean, he's on Twitter quite a lot, which is quite nice. His, uh, his, his other half is one hell of an artist. I have a nice sort of digital art signed picture of the woman behind my desk where I'm at now. But uh, but I do need to work my way through the rest of his filmography, I think. Interesting filmmaker. Yeah. So next I have a film, which I don't know if you've seen, Stu and Rob. I'm not sure you've seen it either. It's from 2007, and it is written and directed by Sean Penn, based on a book by uh, John Krakauer, and it is Into the Wild, starring Emile Hirsch. Either of I you have guys, seen. you've seen that one. Rob, are you familiar with that title? Um, I am familiar with it. Okay, but but not enough to go, that's in my list too. Okay, yeah. well, Into the Wild, Emile Hirsch plays this guy called Chris McCandless. It's based on a true story, and I think we've all wanted to do this at some point, although maybe not in the same way that Into the Wild ends up being. But you know when you go, I'm kind of sick of the way the world is, I'm just going to pack a bag and just do one. I'm just going to head in that direction and see what people are meet and just just go see the world where there are virtually no people. That's the sort of premise of the film, and I just think it's massively inspiring, other than certain parts like the ending, for example, uh, which is it's not a happy ending, but it's a true story, so you could look it up if you want to know what it is. But uh, But I love these films where people just go off on a wander. There was another one, I think it was... Is it Reese Witherspoon where she just does the same wild? She just like just yep. right. I'm just going to go for a walk and just go off and meet people, and I love that sort of stuff. I would kind of love to do something like that one day. So, what, what's your thoughts on uh, Into the Wild, Stu? Your memories of it, if any? 
Yeah, it, it is a good film. It, Emile Hirsch is, again, not one of those actors uh, like Shia LaBeouf, where he seems to have a good record when it comes to films. Um, and that was one of his best. Um, Vince Vaughn as well. So yeah. it was nice to actually see Vince Vaughn again, because I was more used to seeing him in comedies than actually seeing him something like Into the Wild. And so, again, it was nice to see him do a film that was slightly different to what he was actually used to. It, it, it's a good film. Also, the first time I, I think that was the first time I saw Kristen Stewart, or it might have been Panic Room, but that was the first time I saw like her doing a, you know, the, the Kristen Stewart that I knew. I'm like, oh yeah, that's her. She's pretty good in it. It's short role, but you've also got William Hurt, Zach Galifianakis is in there. It's a good cast list. I like yeah. Sean Penn as a director. I like most of his films. Yep. Yeah. So. Got that one. Uh, next up is a 1984 film. 84 was an amazing year for films. I remember queuing up outside the cinema to watch this, and it was a nice sunny day, and I could see the pollster, and I got near enough to the front of the queue, and they went sold out. So I stood there for like two hours plus, waiting for the next showing, just to get <laughs> in to see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I, it's one of the best cinema experiences because I was just staring at this pollster for like two hours waiting, going, what, what, what's going to happen? What's his adventure? What is his temple? What, what's this doom? What, what are all these caves? What's that stone he's got in his hand? Or how can it possibly be better than Raiders of the Lost Ark? And as a kid, the not knowing what you're going to see before you go into a film is amazing. Nowadays, everybody knows everything about a film before it even comes out, which I find... Kind of sad and a bit depressing, but uh, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom a lot darker than Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade, but I, I kind of prefer it. I like the darkness. See, I love uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's really it is, good. It's a brutal film. Yeah, it's, um, that again, like with Aliens. Um, the good thing about the Indiana Jones films is each one never felt like it was copying the previous one. Um, so it all, all three of them, not including Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that's why I said all three of them, um, yeah. all three of them just feel like different movies, like there were proper uh, adventure films where there were different adventures that they weren't treading exactly the same kind of ground. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Temple of Doom. I am looking forward to the fourth Indiana Jones film, which comes out next year. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be good. So my next one from 1982, so we're going back a little bit in time. Uh, Toby Hooper directed, no, Steven Spielberg did not direct it. He produced it. The Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist. Yep. Amazing. I stole money out of a um, out of a money jar so I could rent this on VHS. I got caught, but I didn't care because Poltergeist was amazing. Um, but, yeah, it's a great film. Just it, it still stands up. It really does. Yep. I still love it. I still watch it every couple of years, and if it's on TV, it's like ooh, Poltergeist. Um, yeah, what what can be said about that, Rob? You gotta love Poltergeist. You must have seen Poltergeist. I have, Good. and uh, yeah, I like the movie. Good choice. First ever horror film I ever watched. Oh, was it? How old were you then? Because I know you saw Elm Street at the eighty-four. Yeah, I saw it when I was three. I just wow. turned three because <laughs> my birthday is in September. Yeah. Um, and so I turned, just turned three in 83, in September of 83. Um, and that's when it was my cousin. She was babysitting us. And um, she got out a couple of uh, films. 
and she sort of had a feeling of the kind of person that I was going to be or like, <laughs> considering so she didn't rent like the latest <laughs> animated film um, or something like that. She rented out a couple of films, and she, yeah, I sat down with her, and I was just transfixed. Like, uh, I was just transfixed watching Poltergeist, and that, that's when I knew that I would be a very twisted human being when it comes to movies, <laughs> and I would absolutely adore horror. I think you babysitter went, you know what, I think the world needs one more hardcore horror fan. I'm going to make mm. one. A bit like yeah. Weird yeah. Science, but with, with Elm yeah. Streets and Poltergeists and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I thank my cousin for the fact that I'm into horror films. Brilliant. Um, the only, one of the only good things that my family has ever done for me, but um, put me on the right track to the, the correct genre of uh, brilliance. Well, I, I thank your cousin too for, for sort of... I, I love the fact that, that you are a hardcore horror fan and you know, you've sort of stretched my limits and stuff with horror films over the years. So shout out to your cousin on, on that instance. Uh, next one is from 1977. They've got a lot of old films. Well, say old in my list. Uh, Sorcerer by William Friedkin. It was a film that I remember coming out because obviously it was the director of The Exorcist and The French Connection. But I don't like films about witchcraft. So I'm like, I don't want to watch a film about Sorcerer. So I just ignored it for decades. And then I think it was... I can't remember what label brought it out a few years ago. They were going, well, we're reshooting Sorcerer. And I'm like, why is there a truck on the front of it? What's that film about? Is that that magic one that Friedkin did? Nothing to do with magic whatsoever. It's to do with a bunch of trucks driving over the South American mountains filled with nitroglycerin. Uh, <laughs> and obviously they've got to do it or, or carefully or they'll blow up. It's an absolutely amazing film. Nothing to do with witchcraft whatsoever. But what a stunning film it is. So I highly recommend Sorcerer. It has no witches. It's no science fiction. Nothing like The Exorcist. It's just a really good thriller about trucks that may or may not blow up. So there you go. So that's my one. Uh, I'm jumping into... um, Just before you go on there, the poster for uh, Sorcerer, if I remember correctly, is genius. The poster for it. There's two, isn't it? It's like a blue one and then it's an orange one, isn't there? Because I've got the double-sided cover. So which one are you talking about? It's the one where the truck is on the, the bridge. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that poster is phenomenal. I love that poster. It's, it's cool. Have you seen the film? Yes. What's your, when did you, is it many years ago since you watched it, or have you watched it kind it's of recently? It's been quite a while since I watched it, and I, I can actually remember just hearing the title again and thinking the same as you. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be like a coven of witches, or, or it's going to be like a... A wizard in King Arthur's Court, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it's going to be like a cheesy animated um, film. But when I, I watched it, and it was even through the first like two minutes, I was go, I was thinking, oh, this is like I, I would have ex, I should have expected something different, considering that I did actually see The Exorcist before watching Sorcerer. I think yeah. I watched Sorcerer when I was like nine. Oh, wow. I saw The Exorcist for the first time when I was eight. So um, I don't know. Um, I, I so I did watch the Exorcist. So I, I, you would have thought I would have thought something different. But when you hear the word sorcerer, you just instantly think yeah. it's going to be something like if sort of fantasy kind of film, especially in the <laughs> seven, especially in the seventies. You know, post Star Wars, and you know, if you'd heard of the film in the early eighties, you'd think, oh, Conan the Barbarian and Beastmaster and Sorcerer, and they, they all kind of sound like Excalibur and all that sort of stuff. They sound like they're the same type of film, but Sorcerer is a really good, that scene with the, the truck on the bridge, which they filmed is just mental. 
You're like, how dangerous is that? But cracking film, so I highly recommend that one. So I'm going to jump forward 2013, back to the sort of horror, thriller sort of uh, thing. Rob, you've seen this one. Stu, I'm like 102% sure you've seen this one. It is The Purge, the first one. Mm. Home invasion films freak me out. That's my that's my thing. I love them, but they, they make me very unnerving. Um, and I think The Purge is probably my favourite of The Purge movies and TV shows. I like them all, but I think the first one, because it is a home invasion film, because it's got Ethan Hawke in it, who I think is just great. He's the reason I want to watch The Black Phone. Um, yeah, love The Purge. Yeah, Purge, good film. Uh, Rob, you've seen this next one within the past few months or weeks, I suspect. Back to Ridley Scott territory again for me. Uh, 2001's Black Hawk Down. Film. Love that movie. I think it's to me it's this one of the scariest war movies I've seen. Mm. Because it's it even though it's kind of set in period, it's kind of not really, is it? Because it's not that old. It's still within no. our lifetime this sort of combat. But I find something scarier about the these sort set of films. In nineteen ninety three, so yeah. Yeah. So we were still like I can remember what I was doing in nineteen ninety three. I was mm. working in a video store in nineteen ninety three while, you know, American soldiers were crashing in helicopters and running through the streets in Mogadishu being chased by thousands uh of, of enemies who wanted to kill them and mm. chop them up and shoot them and just do generally horrible things to them. You put a story like that in the hands of Ridley Scott, it just jumps up a notch because that film is amazing. It's uh, It does not pull any punches whatsoever. And if you go back and watch, it's got one hell of a cast. Tom, oh, yeah. ha- Tom Hardy or Thomas Hardy as he was sort of uh, credited. you got Eric Banner, Ewan McGregor, uh, Tom Sizemore, who I think is just fantastic. I, I love Black Hawk Down. I know you were impressed with it as well, weren't you, Rob, when you watched it? Mm, yeah. So, Stu, thoughts on Black Hawk Down? Yeah, the thing with that film is very similar to like Band of Brothers as well. Mm. When you watch Band of Brothers, you don't realise how many actors are actually in that film. Yeah. Uh, that, that's multiple view. And, and when it, it was a film that I didn't actually initially watch when it came out. It was just that a friend was harking on to me and he absolutely loved Black Hawk Down. So it wasn't the fact that I watched it for review or anything like that. It was one of those rare occasions that I watched it on my own back. And I didn't like it as much. Okay. Just because, you know, when it happens when somebody overhypes something. <laughs> yeah, all the it, time. It, it turns around. Yeah, it, when they turn around and say, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and you get your hopes up so much that when you do actually watch it, you think, oh, actually it doesn't hold um, as well as that person actually said. I think it's just the way he was actually... Um, hyping up the film for me at the time that when I watched it, I don't think it clicked with me. I haven't seen it in a very long time, so I might have to go back and watch it again on the fact that um, I don't have my review brain fully in now anymore. It's still there, obviously, with the thrown-up tweets on Twitter when I, when I watched a film or something like that, but it's not always there anymore. So um, I think I should go back and watch a couple of films where I was maybe really harsh on and maybe rewatch them again. And Black Hawk Down, I think, is going to be one of those films on on that list just to rewatch it again. See if I think exactly the same way as I did when I first saw it. It is on. I think it's either Netflix or Prime. It's on one of those two because that's when I recently watched it. 
probably only like a month or so ago because I'm on this sort of Ridley Scott revisiting thing. I've just noticed that Black Rain is on Paramount Plus, so I'm like, brilliant. I've not seen Black Rain in absolutely ages, so I'm going to rewatch that in the next couple of days. But uh, yeah, Black Hawk Down, definitely worth a, a revisit. I'm going to have to. My next one, bit of sci-fi. Hopefully you've seen this one, Rob. If not, please seek it out. It's the Catherine Bigelow-directed film Strange Days. Do you remember that one? Starring Ralph Fiennes, Tom Sizemore, Juliette Lewis, uh, Angela Bassett. No, I haven't seen it. It is set... I mean, it's it's from 1995, but it's set pre-millennium. So it's, it's on sort of New Year's Eve of mm-hmm. 1999. And there is this weird technology. Now, looking back at it now, you go, that's a mini disc, right? <laughs> but, but it's not. It is kind of like a virtual reality type thing. But you put this headset on and you, you put in your little mini disc thing. And it is as if you are the person that you're watching. So think kind of VR, that yeah. sort of thing. Now, it is, it's sort of a, a frowned upon technology because there are kind of snuff movies that are going for reasonable money in the background. And one of these sort of falls into the hands of Ralph Fiennes, who is a, an ex-policeman. And there's this whole like, murder mystery type thing going on. But the world of Strange Days, I mean, this was written by James Cameron. So, you know, who writes sci-fi and action better than that guy? But his, his wife at the time, I think, I think they were married at the time, Catherine Bigelow took it, ran with it. Fantastic film. So I highly recommend seeking out Strange Days. Odds are it's probably seven ninety nine. Um, I don't actually think it's ever come out on Blu-ray. To be fair, it came out on DVD. And I don't think it came out in the UK though. I had to import mine from the US. But uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to track it down on on one of the many platforms that you've got that I don't have. But uh, I track that down. Stu, are you familiar with Strange Days? It did come out on the UK Blu-ray. Did it? Uh, because uh, the box has got the BBFC sticker in it, six ninety nine. Wow! On, uh, on Amazon, treat yourself, um, Rob. It's not my favourite uh, Bigelow film. Um, no. It will always be Near Dark. I I yeah. love Near Dark. Um, but yeah, it it is a really good film because I watched it. Um, it was sort of like released around about the same time as like films like Johnny Mnemonic, wasn't it? Yeah, around it was. about that kind of area. Johnny Mnemonic was a crap film, but I watched uh, Strange Days and thought. Oh, is this what um, the turn of the millennium is going to be like? Um, <laughs> so mini discs so, everywhere, and Juliet Lewis. Yep, it's sort of. Uh, I'm, at least I would have preferred that one rather than like David Cronenberg's Existence kind of future or, or something like that, plugging yeah. into weird fleshy things. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a really good sci-fi dystopian s kind of film because I like those kind of movies. It is, but yeah, I love that film. Uh, my second to last one, I'm saving the last one because I know Stu Miller's going to kick the shit out of me for having it on my list on saving that one. It was originally going to be my first one, but I'm like, no, I need to save that one. So my second last one is from 2001. It is starring the, the sort of frowned upon nowadays, but I still think he's a great actor. Uh, K-Pax starring Kevin Spacey. You, Rob, please tell because I, I keep going to Rob, but I know he's like a sci-fi nut, so that's why I instantly keep going. To, if it was horror ones on my list, I'd be going to you first, Stu. But yeah. K-Pax, <laughs> Rob, have you seen K-Pax? I haven't. You have not. K-Pax is amazing. Stu, have you seen it? I have. Okay. So, Rob, Kevin Spacey plays this guy called Prot, P-R-O-T, right? Okay. Now, he, he just sort of shows up in Grand Central Station, 
and he's acting a little bit strange. So what they do is they take him to a mental hospital to, mm-hmm. to have him checked out because it's like, look, dude, you're, you're acting a little bit off, so we need to investigate and see what's going on. Now, he claims he is uh, an alien visitor from the planet Capax. Mm-hmm. So if you think, have you ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah. Right. Think One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but drop a guy in there who says, I am from the planet Capax <laughs> and I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you get with, okay. with K-Pax. It is a great film, and it's one of those films that, do you know generally you watch a film and by the end of it you go, that's the story I've just been told. Brilliant, thank you very much. I'm going to go see what I'm going to have for tea or whatever. Mm-hmm. K-Pax, you can make your own mind up. <laughs> it's one of those films. And they did end up doing like uh, sort of follow-on, because it's based on a book. They did a second and a third one, and apparently the third one answers the question. And I don't want the question answered, so I've never bothered <laughs> reading them. As much as I'd like to read more about K-Pax, I don't want to know, because I love the way that I've left the first film, and it's like, well, I think this, well, I think that. And who knows who's right? But, uh, but it's a great film. I would highly recommend seeking out K-Pax. K-P-A-X, if you, uh, if you need to write that down and, and whatnot. But Stu, what's your memories of K-Pax? Yeah, um, I'm not a huge uh, Spacey fan. I wasn't even before. You uh, before he was frowned upon. Yeah, I wasn't even a fan um, then. Okay. But um, yeah, it, it's a decent film. It's on Amazon Prime. Brilliant. So if you've got Prime, it's on there. Go for mm-hmm. it, Rob. But, yeah, yeah I, I do remember it vaguely. Um, I, I do remember watching it and thinking, oh, this is not too bad. I think if I remember correctly, it was one of those films where my mum actually saw the box of it and thought, you know what, I want to watch this uh, film. So I watched it with her. She... Unquestionable taste. <laughs> <laughs> addicted in the horror films. Yeah. Um, so she was the one who desperately wanted uh, the video with um, of Titanic. Okay. Because uh, she, she didn't see it in cinema and she wanted the special edition where you got the newspaper with it and all that kind of I, stuff. I, had that, I got that one. Yep. Yeah, I was just thinking, Mum, <laughs> you're never allowed to make a movie selection ever again after subjecting me to three hours of that dross. Yep. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, I let her off every now and again. Yeah. is all right. <laughs> and my final film, which is, and obviously you'll realise it is a last-minute entry because it's a 2022 film. Um, and I, I don't know if I want to hear Stu's thoughts on it, to be honest. It's, I don't know if I'm ready to hear Stu's thoughts on it. I don't know is if I've psyched... Maverick? It is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, <laughs> it really is Top Gun Maverick. And I... So... Obviously, I've watched it recently. But I sat down in the cinema, and I'm, I'm one of these. It's like, do we really need a Top Gun follow-up? Probably not. I, I, love the, I love the original Top Gun. I think Tony Scott is one of my favourite filmmakers. When we lost Tony Scott, I'm like, well, that needs to be the end of Top Gun 2 because Tony Scott's not going to be involved, and therefore, how good can it be? Because a lot of the style of Top Gun 1 is the way that Tony Scott did it. So I'm like, I'm not really interested. But then when they announced it was still coming out, I'm like, who's going to get to do Top Gun? It can't possibly be Joe Kaczynski. I'm like, well, I love Oblivion. I think Oblivion is a great film. I think visually it's stunning. I really like Tron Legacy. So I'm like, visually, this guy could possibly do it. But still, it's a follow-up to a film from the 80s. Do we really need it? Is Tom Cruise going to be passable as a naval aviator? He's in his, like, 50s, nearly 60 or whatever. Come on, how good is this film really going to be? From the opening Paramount logo and the moment the film went, boom, 
<laughs> I was in. I'm not even kidding. And part of the reason that this film is in my top 100 is, yes, it's a great film, but it is the sheer feeling what it was like watching that film at the cinema. And that is a feeling I have not had watching a movie for a long time. It is that sheer, you've got me, I'm in, I'm hooked. Uh, I had sort of uh, like a lump in my throat and, and, and my eyes were welling up for the full duration of that film. It's just like every bit of nostalgia went, can I borrow you a minute? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to put you down for two hours. And it's just a case of watching the right film at the right time and I was in the right mood. And I just came out of that film going, wow, what I just watched, that was absolutely incredible. And I even remember Annette saying afterwards, what did you think of it? And I, it took me about half an hour to be able to go, right, I need to not have a croaky voice when I'm talking about this film. So I had to leave it, but I'm not even kidding. And um, I had to leave it about half an hour before I could actually have a conversation about how much I loved that film. And it really surprised me how much I enjoyed watching it but it is a case of the right film at the right time and it got me in the right mood and I think a lot of people seem to have got that because I was expecting Top Gun to come out and for the Twitterverse to go kill it <laughs> get the pitchforks let's let's stab this film but there's the minority of people haven't liked it which is unusual for a film like Top Gun 2 you figure most people would really dislike it but and there are a few people that have disliked it but there, there's not many of them which is quite surprising and quite nice from my point of view. And today, Top Gun Maverick has just passed the billion-dollar mark, and I'm very happy. And Paramount are shocked, and Tom Cruise is shocked that it's made so much money. So I, I genuinely love that film, in case nobody could tell. Mm-hmm. So dare I ask Stu why he didn't like it? <laughs> I thought the film was all right. Yeah. It's not the fact that I hated the film. I didn't hate it because that hating the film is like, it's got a really pushy button for some reason. Mm. Um, and Top Gun Maverick did not do that. Um, I just think the film was all right. It, it yeah. wasn't as brilliant as I was expecting it to be. Maybe it's because of the fact I don't have the reverence with the original Top Gun as much as a lot of people do. Yeah. I, I know the audience that seems to have embraced Maverick the most is the ones who have that love for the original Top Gun. Yes. And I thought the original Top Gun is a good film. Um, I just felt like this film itself, and again, you're probably going to criticise me from what I'm about to say, but um, yes, it is about Maverick, hence the title. Yeah. But I just think all the rest of the characters around him were just shortchanged. Yeah. Um, It's a film where, if it was trying to establish itself to actually tell the story about Maverick and maybe potentially set up future films in its franchise or created around other characters, then it needed to do something with the other characters more than what it did. Because Miles Teller, I think he was very underused. He's a very basic character and nobody else had very much of a personality. Like they've got a group of people together and just go, you know what, let's copy the group from the original film, but underplay them a lot. And I just don't think they established them enough where people are going to remember them for a potential third film if they do ever go ahead with it without Tom Cruise's Maverick in it, or unless Maverick is going to be maybe a character that pops up in it briefly and then passes the baton on to other characters. But 
it just didn't feel like the rest of the cast around him was was strong enough to hold a film of their own if there is if there ever is, is going to be one. Tom Cruise is just he, he's a really good actor because one yeah. once he embraces a character, he embraces it. He really does grab hold of that character and so he's one of the few actors who is able to actually do that. He puts his all into it. Really so I've got does. to give credit for that. And uh, the directing is is actually fine. It's just as a whole, the film itself fell flat for me. I can answer the thing about the cast, though, because I was listening to a conversation between Joe Kaczynski, and he was saying that his original idea... So somebody was set up to do Top Gun 2, as it was called, and Tom Cruise for years is like, not interested, don't want to do it, don't want to do it. He was then setting up to do it with Tony Scott. And the Friday before Tony Scott took his life, they were on a location scout. They were looking around and they were planning Top Gun 2. And then, you know, I think it was like the Sunday or the Monday where, where Tony Scott left us. Um, you know, that sort of got rid of the, the the stage of that Top Gun. So then it dropped into Joe Kaczynski's desk a few years later and him and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer, were talking and Joe Kaczynski said, the, right, the first one is about Goose and Maverick. It's a love story, but it's not between Kelly McGillis. It's a, it's between these two guys. And the second one needs to be about Maverick trying to reconcile with the Miles Teller character, Rooster. That's what the premise of the second one needs to be. So that was the main focus of it, which is why I think a lot of the other characters were sidelined. But if they do do a third one, it's going to be a bit tricky, isn't it, like you said, because it's like, well... Who's going to be in the third one? If there is going to be a third one, odds are there probably will be. I don't think Tom Cruise will be in it though, because he very rarely does sequels, other than Mission Impossible, of course. Yeah, for for me though, it still didn't feel like he reconciled with um, Rooster. It wasn't strong enough. Um, it was sort of like Rooster needed to look upon Maverick Ed by the end of the film as like a father figure. Yeah, and if it just felt forced, that that kind of uh, feeling yeah. so I, it's not the fact that I hate the film I don't no. honestly I've seen many more films this year that that I've really really didn't like um, it's a film for me that falls an average one so okay. it's, I'm never going to forget about it no, no. it's not like a forgettable average film because there are elements of the film I really do like and it's just it didn't impact me as much as it's impacted a lot of people oh it hammered me it was just like whoa because it's you must know yourself I mean sort of Rob uh, and Stu, I mean, Stu, you go to cinema more than Rob does. Rob, I think the last film you saw was like Empire Strikes Back or something, wasn't it? Cinema or yeah, the, or the Greatest like Showman, possibly. Um, <laughs> but it's very rare that you go watch a film at the cinema and it just grabs you by the throat and goes, Right, let's just switch your nostalgia up and your oh my god, this is amazing film feeling up to 11. It's very rare. Normally, you go to a cinema screen and you go, I liked it, I didn't, or that was really good. Very rare you come out and go, my God, what have I just seen? And that's the first like, film I can think of for a long, long time where that got me. It was, it was Ghostbusters Afterlife for me, just because right. of how much of a Ghostbusters fan I was, was from from the 80s, because I loved the cartoon, the, re, uh, the original Ghostbusters cartoon. I loved the first two films. And so I think it was Afterlife because it, it did get the feeling of um, Ghostbusters for me. And then yeah. prior to that, it was um, it wasn't part of a, a, a series that was Super Eight, because yeah. watching Super Eight in the cinema and just walking out, I went, 
Was that film made in the 80s? <laughs> yeah. it, it just transports you back to the 80s. So it was those two films to me. But I completely agree with you that the gap from Super 8 to Ghostbusters Afterlife is quite a few years. And so they've very rarely come along those kind of films. Especially when we do the podcast thing or the website thing where you you can't help but watch it with your review eyes. You know, yeah. you can so you still watch as a film fan. You watch any film as a film fan. Oh, am I liking this? Or am I not? But part of your brain's like, right? Oh, I can, I can, you know, oh, that editing's a bit bad. Or oh, I like that shot. Oh, the music's pretty good. It, the, Top Gun just went right. Sit down. Shut up for two hours. I needed the bathroom maybe ten minutes into Top Gun. I didn't go until the end credits went. I'm like, I am not leaving at all. It wouldn't let me. <laughs> it wouldn't let me leave my seat. But I don't know when it's going to be when I see a film that's probably going to get me that much again. But, I think it's, you know. it's probably going to be either a film that will remind you of your childhood yeah. or a film that has made so much of an impact on you when you watched it for the first time, if ever do make a, a proper sequel or a film in that, like, yeah. that series again. Maybe it's then, but it needs to be a film that properly impacted you. So hence why Top Gun did that Top Gun Maverick did that with you because yeah. the impact that Top Gun made on you, it, it, they are very few and far between if they ever make a Goonies again. Oh. Uh, have the same kind of feeling as the original Goonies. Um, so uh, obviously things like Stand By Me is completely off the cards because yeah. I'll hate the fact if they ever do re- make a remake because it will never be the same as the original. No. But yeah, it, it is if a film impacted you when you first watched it as a child or when you were a teenager, that's the kind of film that's going to do the same kind of thing to you again if they get it right. Yeah. I think Goonies is a very good example, isn't it? If they did the long, often talked about Goonies sequel rather than a remake and they did it right, that would probably be like, wow, I'm back. I'm back to the mindset of what it was like to watch a film as a kid and just forget about what I'm going to tweet about it, what I'm going to write or talk about it on a podcast. It's like, sit down, shut up. This film is just going to get you for two hours and then just... You know, switch off at the end credits. Yeah. But but no, for me, I think Top Gun Maverick is my film of the year. I don't think anything's going to beat it. To be fair, but certainly looking at what's coming out, um, but I think that's probably going to be my uh, my favourite film. But it had to go in my top hundred list just because of the the sheer viewing experience. I think. Yeah. So there we go. So we're up to date with June. That is good, Rob. Are you quite happy with all these lists? I am indeed. You got lots of films to go after. You're gonna go after K Pax and Stu, you're gonna yeah. go watch Black Hawk Down again at some point and you know, I am gonna check out the cabinet of Doctor Kilgari, which I've never seen. And uh yeah, so I'm quite happy. So what's everybody up to for the rest of the evening? Other than obviously running to the streamers and watching films. Mm. Uh probably um doing some uh watching of YouTube. Okay, for your for your secret YouTube project. Yes, that about, no one knows about. No. What about you, Stu? What are you up to? Um, well, just watch Twitch for a little bit, but I've got to be up early in the morning for work, so um, I've got to be up quite past five. Oof. Oof. I work in the morning, so I start at eight, but I walk to work, so um, I, I always make sure I'm up a little bit before I actually uh, get myself dressed and all that kind of stuff, so... Just watch a little bit of Twitch on my new TV because I bought a brand new TV. So how big? How big is the telly? Not that size matters, but you know, it's still 50, 50 mm-hmm. inch. So I've got a fifty inch uh, 
sitting room, 50-inch TV in the in the bedroom. Nice. My bedroom is me main TV, so it's a, a state-of-the-art Samsung crystal OLED 4K TV. So, um, yeah, I just watched some Twitch on that. Very nice. I'm going to go downstairs and watch the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I've not managed to watch since it dropped on Wednesday because of work. And then if I'm still awake, I'm going to watch the third episode of Ms. Marvel on Disney Plus because I'm really enjoying that show as well. So, strange things on the, the first or second yes. of July. First of July, uh, two episodes, totaling four hours altogether. So that is hefty. <laughs> two and a half hour yeah. finale. What the frick? What's all that about? <laughs> I'm, I'm not to watch it. Yeah. Oh, hopefully, it doesn't let us down. I hope not. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm sure the internet will be rather grumpy. So, yeah, considering that I don't watch TV, so um, it, it's a rare thing for me to watch like a TV program, a program yeah. rather than a movie. So, it's the only program I've watched this year. So, if it lets me down, then I'm going to be thinking, <laughs> "Oh crap, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. No more. I'm out." <laughs> And uh, if you need something else to watch, do Paramount Plus do a seven-day free trial, so you can investigate that. Yeah, I want to watch the Beavis and Butthead do the Universe film because I actually yeah. like Beavis and Butthead do America. So I watched the trailer for that and went, it looks moronic and silly and stupid, my kind of cup of tea. Just what we need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, you guys enjoy your evening. Thank you very much for your lists. Um, and oh. uh, Stu, I'll probably chat to you in July, and we'll... we'll Go through your next ten. So, yep. All right, guys, take care. You too. Bye. Oh, and by the way, Supreme Court, fuck off. There you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.